If you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 33. That is where we will start here with our message today. We've been in this Exodus series now for several weeks. There's two more weeks remaining. And uh, today's message is entitled, Glowing in God's Glory. And we're going to be in a couple chapters here, Exodus 33 and also 34. Before we begin, though, I want to take a moment and to just try to define for you God's glory. And perhaps you've heard this term. It's kind of a churchy thing. We can say it. We want God's glory. But what does that actually mean when we say the glory of God? And I want to boil this down here with a very simple definition here. Even though to fully describe God's glory, I'm not going to be able to do that for you. Okay, but to look at this, in short, God's glory is His beauty, and to go a little further than that, it's going public of His infinite worth. And to take it a step further, understand this, God is completely set apart. He is holy. That's what that word means, to be set apart or holy. He is above everything. He's holy. And you see this in Isaiah 6, Verse 3, where the Scriptures say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies, and the whole earth is filled with His glory. Okay, the Scriptures say the heavens declare the glory of God. You can look around and you can see the public display of His infinite worth. And we're going to unpack this as we read the passages here of Exodus 33 and 34. God's glory is going to be on display. And Moses has some responses to that, and we're going to look at those responses and how that can apply into our own lives for us today as we live in response to the glory of God. So before we get into the Scriptures here, I want to take a moment to pray together, asking the Lord to bless this time as we uh, sit together in His Word. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank You for your word, you speak to us, you instruct us, you guide us in this life. And Father, I pray that as we worship together in response to your word, I pray that your spirit would ready our hearts to receive. To receive and then also to understand the application. How you want us to respond today. And we thank you for this account of Moses and the Israelites here in Exodus 33 and 34. And as we look into this, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us loudly for us today. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start in verse 7. And outside the camp, there was this place called the Tent of Meeting, and that's where we're going to pick things up here. It was Moses' practice to take the Tent of Meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. And everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. So now to really drive this experience home, I want you to stand. Okay, so everybody stand. If you're in the overflow room, stand. If you're at home and you want to stand, you're welcome to do that. Uh, if folks think you're crazy, that's fine too. So, okay, so we're all standing. 
All right, all the people would get up and stand at the entrances of their own tents, and they would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside that tent. And as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Now, you don't have to bow down here. I'm just, that's what they would do. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks with a friend. And afterward, Moses would then return to the camp. But the young man who had assisted him was Joshua, son of Nun, and he would remain behind in the tent of meeting. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. Thank you for participating. But it sort of drives the point home here of what they would do in their camp. You imagine all these Israelites whenever Moses would head out there. Verse 12. One day Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me I know you by name and I look favorably on you. And if that's true that you do look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. And then Moses said, if you don't go personally with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. And Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence." The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As for my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of this rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. So we pick things up now in chapter 34, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord told Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. You remember what happened to those first ones? Comes down, he's upset. He breaks those, and he says, I will write on them the same words that were on the tablets that you smashed. And be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of that mountain. No one else may come with you. In fact, no one is to appear anywhere on the mountain. Do not even let the flocks or herds graze near the mountain. So Moses chisels out these two stone tablets of stone like the first ones, and early in the morning he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. 
The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and their grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. And Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped. And he said, O Lord, if it's true that I have found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. And the Lord replied, Listen, I am making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. Listen carefully. Remember last week we said there's a difference between hearing and listening. And God's saying, listen, I am renewing this covenant with you. So listen carefully to what I'm commanding. He says, then I will go ahead of you and drive out the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in that land where you're going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead, you must break down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their Asherah poles. So all these things they worship too, and they give their reverence and their time to, do not replicate that. Don't copy that. Have nothing to do with that. And it says in verse 14, You must not worship other gods, for the Lord your God, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about His relationship with you. You must not make a treaty of any kind with the people living in the land. They lust after their gods, offering sacrifices to them. They will invite you to join them in their sacrificial meals, and you will go with them. And then you'll accept their daughters who sacrifice to other gods. You'll accept them as wives for your sons. And they will seduce your sons to commit adultery against me by worshiping other gods. So you see how if you start to play around with this, it's going to affect your people even to your next generation. It's going to continue to, to spiral. Now, the Lord goes on and gives further instruction here to Moses in emphasizing a couple of principles, the principle of tithing and the principle of the Sabbath. And then he picks it back up here in verse 28. Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And in all that time he ate no bread and drank no water. Think of that. A 40-day fast on this mountain. And the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. And when Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he spoke, because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of the meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. 
And then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he then would return to speak with the Lord. That is where we'll end here with this particular passage here. But recognizing seeing God's glory on display in a variety of ways, I want us to look at some responses to God's glory. And I'm going to kind of go in order, if you will, of our our initial responses when God's glory is on display. And one of the very first ones is we need to realize His worth. He is so much bigger than we are. And so in... Chapter 34, I know the screen says 33, but in 34, verse 8, we get a very clear picture of what Moses does when the glory is on display. He immediately hits the ground. During his interaction, he throws himself to the ground in sincere humility. He was meeting with the Holy One, the One who's set apart. And his response is, he falls to the ground, and then he immediately starts asking for forgiveness. Is there any other way to respond in the midst of God's presence? He is so much greater than we are. And you're in the presence of this holy God. And we ought to react the same way. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things And by your will they existed and were created. Psalm 115 verse 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. So part of the issue is that we have this contention. We want glory in our life. We want that. That's a part of our sin nature. And so step one is realizing how holy God is And understanding our position in that, we come to Him with that reverence and respect. Dare I even say fear. We fall down and we realize how worthy He is. Our next response to His glory is desiring His presence in our life. Do you desire to have God's presence in your life? I hope the answer is yes. And it's either a yes or no question. I mean, well, kind of, maybe, I don't know. And then sometimes we even compartmentalize that. Like, yes, God is holy. He's there. He's set apart. And I'll go to Him when I'm in need or when I have to on you know the weekend worship. But then when that's over, then I'm just going to go back and do my own thing. But here's the thing. Moses desires God's presence at all times. And you see that. When he says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave. Like, we need you, Lord. Please travel with us. Then also he says, show me your glorious presence. Do we desire God's presence in our life? So if we recognize his worthiness and we want to have him in our life, the next step would be to receive his salvation. Have you received the salvation that God gives? He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on a cross for your sin. And now you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And you receive Christ into your life, you also get the Holy Spirit. Do you desire salvation? 
And I think it's interesting that in verse 21 of chapter 33, the Lord is telling Moses, as far as experiencing His glory, He says, first off, stand near me on this rock. Can you see a gospel message in that statement right there? Come stand near me on this rock. Think of Jesus Christ, the rock. We build our lives on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's when he's standing on that rock, he then begins to experience God's glory. And I want to tell you something. When you give your life to Jesus, you begin to experience the glory of God in incredible ways. That's like the key, if you will, that opens the door to the glory of God in your life. Do you have Christ in your life? Have you built your house on that rock? You think Jesus even said, do you build your house on the rock or the sand, right? The wise person, the rock, the foolish person, sand. And storms come to both of those individuals. The storms of life will come to all of us. But whether or not your life is built on Jesus and His Word will determine whether or not your house stands firm. We build our life on the rock. As we set ourselves on the rock, we then begin to experience God's glory in a greater way. So His salvation brings a relationship. You know, God designed you for a relationship with Him. Now the problem is, is that relationship is severed by sin. Because of the sin in our life, that relationship is severed. But at salvation, when you receive Christ into your life, your relationship with God is made whole. And now you have access, you have that relationship that He's designed you to have. And so once you have that relationship, the next question is, do you cherish that relationship? Do you value that? And you see that in chapter 33, verse 11, when Moses was in the tent of meeting... He would meet with the Lord face to face as a friend. Is that the kind of relationship that you have with the Lord? So strong it's like a friendship? Because that's what He's designed it to be. He wants to talk with you. He wants to meet with you. Spend time with you. And in chapter 34, verse 14, He says, Don't worship other gods. He says, I'm a jealous God. I'm jealous about this relationship with you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He desires that. So I want to stop while we're here. If Moses met face to face with God, then why later was Moses told he can't see his face or he'll die? I don't know if you thought that or not, but I want to break that down here for a second. So we know from Scripture that God is spirit, and spirits do not possess these physical traits like the face or the back or what have you. And in verse 11, the idiom face-to-face can simply be understood as he met with him intimately. There's that deep relationship that's taking place. Moses spoke with God with that familiarity as a man would speak to a friend. And so when God told Moses, you cannot see my face... Essentially, he's saying that truly seeing God as He is in the fullness of His glory would be more than a mortal man could tolerate. Therefore, to protect Moses, God was only going to reveal that portion of His majesty and power that was humanly possible to absorb. 
But could you imagine getting to taste that? And so we recognize that there's a relationship there. There's this intimacy that God desires in our life. He wants that relationship to be cherished. He also wants you to thrive in that relationship. So as we walk out our relationship with the Lord, I want us to understand that God desires for us to live holy lives. So we pursue holiness. As the scriptures would say of the Lord, be holy as I am holy. He is set apart, and He wants us to be set apart also. Okay, and in chapter 33, verse 16, Moses even says, Your presence with us sets us apart from all other people. So think about this as believers in Christ. I said, when you receive salvation, Jesus comes into your life and you receive the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. By the way, that sets you apart from the world. You now have this holy God living inside of you. And so we're set apart, which means all this stuff that the world tries to grab our attention with and even get us to stumble and fall, God's saying, I don't want you involved in that stuff. I've set you apart. You're, you're holy. I have purposes for your life that I've designed, that I've created. He says, be very careful never to make a treaty with these people who are, if you will, worshiping other gods. And yet we can surround ourselves with people who aren't really pursuing the Lord and then we start to fall into those things as well. Or we get lured in by the things of our world, the things that people seem to set up their altars and worship. But God says we're bought with a price and we're to glorify God with our bodies. You're set apart. You were bought with a price. You're set apart. Now glorify God with your body. The context of that verse is a passage where Paul is talking about sexuality. And to think of our culture in the day and age we're in where sexuality is so twisted. The scriptures remind us that you were bought with the price, therefore glorify God with your body. In 1 Corinthians 10:31 it says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all. To the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And so we desire to live lives that are holy. We want to know how we can do that, and that leads me to my next point is we have to know His ways. Okay, just a question out there. How do we get to know His ways? Can anybody just give me some kind of indication? Thank you. Right there, we get into the Scriptures. God has made His ways known. He's given us that in the Scriptures. If you want to know His ways, we log time in the Scriptures. And so Moses says in chapter 33, verse 13, he says, let me know your ways. And then he carries that a little bit further. He said, so that I can understand you more and then continue to enjoy your favor. And so the more time we spend learning about God's ways, we then begin to understand Him more. I mean, that just makes sense, right? The more I get to know His Word and His ways, I'm going to get to know Him more. I'm going to have a greater understanding. Okay? 
But what also flows out of that is an enjoyment of His favor. I think there's a greater recognition of God's grace and favor in your life the more and more you get to know His ways. And that favor is powerful. I want to just highlight something. I was given a survey this week that revealed that people that read the Scriptures during the COVID season actually increased their mental well-being during all the lockdowns. So does logging time with the Lord make a difference in your life? Well, people that are being surveyed says so. But I think the Scriptures are clear too, that as you taste and see that the Lord is good, you're going to want to get to know Him even more. And what's sad is, as difficult as things are in our culture, through the COVID experience, depression has more than tripled in our nation. Think of that. Going from the one out of every ten people to now 25% of people struggling with depression. Taking it a step further, they found that people the ages of 18 to 24, so those college students, they did a survey and they realized that approximately 25% of them have contemplated suicide this past year. 25%. That's staggering. So what do you do about that? Well, I try to bring this truth of the more you log time in God's ways, the more you understand Him, and then also the more you begin to enjoy His favor. You realize that there is joy in life. And if I'm speaking to anyone right now that's struggling with depression, I will just say, number one is get into the Word, fight through that, but also realize the people that God has put around you as the body of Christ. Open up to an individual. Share what's going on in your life. These are real things. Have people praying for you, helping you fight that battle. But the key to enjoying this journey that we're on is knowing Him in a greater way, knowing His ways and a greater understanding of who He is. My last point is that we shine in His glory. We shine in His glory. We don't shine on our own. We shine in His glory. Moses wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. Why was his face radiant? Because he was with the Lord. And he wasn't even aware that it was glowing. And the people of Israel could see the radiant glow of his face. So this was Moses. This was the Old Covenant, right? Where he would go on behalf of the people into the presence of the Lord. And it's interesting, in 2 Corinthians 3, the Scriptures give us an understanding of the glory that comes with the New Covenant. The fact that we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it opens the door to experiencing this glory that Moses experienced. All of us can experience this, and experience it in an even greater way. I'll start with verse 7 of this passage. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. 
for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Now, verse 8. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? So think how awesome that was for Moses and that glow. And the scriptures are saying it's available in an even greater way for us today. Verse 17, for the Lord is the Spirit and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is Freedom. All of us would have this veil on our eyes. And when we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, that veil is lifted through the power of the Holy Spirit. Freedom comes into our life. And in verse 18, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and then reflect the glory of God. The only way we can shine is when we're in the light of Jesus Christ. We reflect that. We're like mirrors. And we reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Now, Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says in the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I want to break this down a little bit further. We get into a relationship with Jesus Christ. His light shines through us. We're not lights on our own. He shines through us, and other people see that, and they go, there is something different about that person. I want what they have. And so as they desire that, they desire God's presence, you can see the steps leading up to then where they would receive salvation. Remember salvation being the key that opens the door to God's glory in a greater way. So as we shine for Christ, others see that light. They want that light in their life, and then they would be able to glorify God in heaven. Have you ever heard somebody say to a pregnant woman, they're glowing? Right? They find out they were pregnant. They go, I knew you were pregnant. You had a glow about you. Okay? The glow is because there's a child inside of her, right? Well, think of this in the spiritual sense. Because we have Christ in our life in the presence of the Holy Spirit, we glow. And people see that. And so we, grow in, we glow in His glory, and people respond to that. And we glow even when circumstances are dim. So in Psalm 34, this is a very heavy psalm, but also a very comforting psalm. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. Have you ever needed help? Verse 17, the Lord hears His people when they call to Him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. Have you ever walked through troubles? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Have you ever been brokenhearted? And He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Have you ever been crushed? You can see what is being described here. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. You get an idea here that the psalmist is drawing out that God is with those who are going through very difficult things. And in verse 5, it says, Those who look to God for help are radiant with joy. So even when we walk through difficult circumstances, having the presence of God 
makes all the difference. And it's often in those dim circumstances that the light of Christ would seem the brightest. And people watch you walk through those very things. And as you shine Christ in the midst of those things, I think that's where people go, what's different about that person? You see what they're walking through? But yet they have this mindset and this attitude, they have this glow because of the glory of God. So I want to break a few things down for anybody that would desire that intimate relationship with God, just as Moses did, you must practice what he did. The very first thing is separate yourself regularly. Moses would go out to the tent of meeting. He went outside the camp. You must come apart from the crowd. Find that time where you can meet with the Lord and really be able to soak in His presence. Another thing is to seek God with all your heart. The Scriptures say Moses sought the Lord. There is an action with that. We don't just passively stand by and wish we had a word from the Lord or any guidance or direction. We need to seek it out. So we go after it. The third thing is we must be willing to go public. Willing to take risks, even though it might feel intimidating to be watched and even possibly scrutinized. People watched Moses go out to meet with the Lord. And so just as you and I desire to have a deeper relationship with the Lord, there is something about going public about that. And maybe here for 2020 is you see all these people on Facebook. They change their relationship status. Let the whole world know, right? Well, I think the same thing could be said of our relationship with the Lord. Do people know that you're a follower of Christ? Have you made that known? Not that we have to like throw it in people's faces, but I, I think it's a warning. Don't be ashamed of this. The gift you have in a relationship with God is not something to be ashamed of. We learn to listen and obey God's voice. And then the last thing is, is perhaps there's someone listening that you've yet to enter into that relationship. You've yet to enter in. And you're missing out on the intimacy with God. You're missing out on experiencing His glory in a greater way. So understand this. There's the gospel that allows you to have this relationship. In Exodus 34, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses and He called out His name, Yahweh. And he says that he is a God of compassion and mercy. God had compassion and mercy on us when he sent his son Jesus to bring the redemption of our sin. He's slow to anger. He's filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. He lavishes unfailing love to a thousand generations. He forgives iniquity, rebellion, and sin. That is what God does. He takes people from their lives of sin and brings them into a relationship with Him. And we now live in this holy journey that God has designed us to live. God is loving. We see that. And He's also just. He realizes that we need a Savior, so He sent Christ to redeem us 
from our sin, but yet there's people who reject Him. They don't want Him in their life. They'd rather do things on their own. They don't recognize His worthiness. They would rather walk in their own glory. They don't desire His presence, so therefore they've not yet received His salvation. And while God lays out His character, I'm a merciful God, I'm loving, I'm faithful, He also says, by the way, I'm just. And I do not excuse the guilty. If you've not dealt with the sin issue by coming to faith in Jesus Christ, there's accountability for not making that response. He says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and the grandchildren and the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Homes that don't have Jesus Christ, you can see the consequences of his absence. It just carries on into the next generation until someone in that family encounters the Lord and changes that because of His grace in their life. As we consider all of these things from the Word today, I want us to go into a time of reflection here, and we're going to pray together as we get ready to close. And as we pray, just ask, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking into my life right now? Is there an area of holiness that you desire in my life that's just currently not holy? I'm holding on to something that is sinful, rebellious, and I need to deal with that. Or perhaps you're sitting here right now and you go, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to settle that right here in prayer together. And if you already have a relationship with Christ, as I'm praying, I want to encourage you to pray that if there's people here that need to respond to that message, that you'd pray with me that the Spirit would draw them in to that saving relationship with Christ. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we close this message? Father, I thank you. You're such a glorious God. And Lord, in your rightful place and position of power, we come before you, recognizing your worth. And Lord, we desire your presence in our life. And Lord, if there's someone listening right now that would desire to enter into that relationship with you, to receive salvation in their life, I want to invite that individual to pray with me. Just quietly in your heart, just pray with me as I pray this prayer of salvation. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. I realize that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved from my sin. So I ask that you would forgive me of my sin, cleanse me, from all unrighteousness, and make me a new person. Today, by grace, through faith, I receive Jesus Christ into my life. And with that, I realize I'm receiving the gift of His Holy Spirit. And as you give me a new heart, help me to walk in your ways. Help me to live a life of holiness and pursuit of your kingdom. 
and help me to shine for Christ. And I thank you for this gift of salvation that I receive today. And if there's anyone that just prayed with me to receive Christ, with every head bowed and eye closed, if someone would just like to indicate that for me by simply lifting their hand up and then placing it right back down, to let me know, Pastor Russ, I prayed that prayer with you. Just simply lift it up and then right back down. Anyone at all praying the prayer of salvation. Heavenly Father, I thank you for new life in Christ. I pray, Lord, for those who've prayed with me to receive you, you'd make that decision very real. I pray that you'd bless them in their journey with you. Help us to be people, Lord, who live in response to your glory and live in light of your glory. Help us to be people who live holy lives. Help us to desire you and to know your ways so we understand you more and we enjoy your favor. And we thank you for this time. Lord, continue to speak to us in this time of response. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.